Are you familiar with the name Alexandre Dumas? You might recognize that name. He's a famous French author. He wrote the book, The Three Musketeers, and he wrote other books as well. In fact, my favorite was The Count of Monte Cristo. You remember that story? There's this young man, Edmond Dantes, who's betrayed by his friends. He's accused of being a spy. He's arrested, then he's convicted, and then he's sentenced to live out the rest of his life in this awful, awful prison. And surely that's where he's going to end up, right? Except he doesn't. He escapes that awful prison with the help of another inmate. But the whole time that he was in that awful place, the whole time he was going through all that suffering, he was plotting his revenge. And so this story is this delicious retelling of how Edmund Dantes is going to extract his revenge on his former friends. How he's going to use their pride and their egos against them and make them pay for the wrongs that they've done. And we love a story like that, don't we? We love a story where these evil characters get what they deserve. In fact, sometimes, oftentimes, really, we think, you know, that's what the world needs a little more of, people getting what they deserve. And now we come to the moment in Joseph's story where Joseph, the prime minister of Egypt, has his brother standing before him once again, wanting to buy some more food. And if Edmund Dantes was the prime minister, well, you know, he would make his brothers pay and we would be watching, cheering him on. But how will Joseph respond? Let's go ahead and dive in. Genesis chapter 43, verses 16 through 34. I want you to check it out. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, Bring the men into the house and slaughter an animal and make ready, for the men are to dine with me at noon. The man did as Joseph told him and brought the men to Joseph's house. And the men were afraid because they were brought to Joseph's house. And they said, It is because of the money which was replaced in our sacks the first time that we are brought in, so that he may assault us and fall upon us to make us servants and seize our donkeys. So they went up to the steward of Joseph's house and spoke with him at the door of the house and said, Oh, my Lord, we came down the first time to buy food. And when we came to the lodging place where we opened our sacks, there was each man's money in the mouth of his sack, our money in full weight. So we have brought it again with us. We have brought other money down with us to buy food. We do not know who put the money in our sacks. He replied, peace to you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them, and when the man had brought the men into Joseph's house and given them water, and they had washed their feet, and when he had given their donkeys fodder, they prepared the present for Joseph's coming at noon, for they heard that they should eat bread there. When Joseph came home, they brought into the house to him the present that they had with them and bowed down to him to the ground. And he inquired about their welfare and said, Is your father well, the old man of whom you spoke? Is he still alive? They said, your servant, our father is well, he is still alive. And they bowed their heads and prostrated themselves. And he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? God be gracious to you, my son. Then Joseph hurried out, for his compassion grew warm for his brother, and he sought a place to weep. And he entered his chamber and wept there. Then he washed his face and came out, and controlling himself, he said, Serve the food. They served him by himself, and them by themselves, and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves, because the Egyptians could not eat with the Hebrews, for that is an abomination to the Egyptians." 
And they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked at one another in amazement. Portions were taken to them from Joseph's table, but Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any is theirs. And they drank and they were merry with him. Last week, you, you remember, we saw that the, that the grain that the brothers had brought uh, from Egypt, well, it had finally run out. They had finally eaten through everything. And so a reluctant Jacob finally says, okay, you can take Benjamin with you when you return to Egypt. And so they take Benjamin, but they take more than just Benjamin. They take all the finest products that Canaan has to offer. They want to present the prime minister with the best gifts they possibly can because they fear the worst is going to happen to them because of that money that was returned to their sacks. More importantly, though, each brother was also carrying with them back to Egypt an awakened conscience. They, they were woke with the guilt concerning Joseph. They, they knew what they had done to Joseph. And they were also wondering, what is the prime minister going to do to us? I mean, you can imagine the conversation. Well, what's going to happen to us? Is he going to imprison us again? Is he going to believe us this time? Will, be, will we be able to buy grain? Are we going to see Simeon? I mean, what has become of Simeon? How are things going to turn out? You can imagine the concern, the worry, the anxiety that these brothers are carrying with them on their trip. And what's more is they know that whatever happens, they, they deserve it. Maybe not for what they did this time, but you know, those three days that they had spent in prison before those three days when they just became overcome with guilt because they realized what they had done to Joseph and they likely realized, you know what? This is where we deserve to be. This, this would be our just punishment for what we did to our younger brother. This is what we deserve because of what had happened so long ago. And so they're, they're expecting this. This is probably what's going to happen to us now. We're finally going to get what we deserve. And so as they're going through this in their mind, they're thinking, how are we going to protect Benjamin? How are we going to make sure that Benjamin doesn't have to endure any of this kind of punishment because he doesn't deserve it? How is he going to get away free with food for the rest of our families? This is probably the best case scenario that these brothers were hoping for. Well, the story quickly shifts from the guilt-ridden, anxious brothers to this eager, excited brother, Joseph, who's been waiting and waiting for their return. And then he sees them, and he sees that Benjamin is with them, and he is just overcome with excitement. I mean, you can imagine the joy in his heart. Benjamin and Joseph, they were the only two that shared, that shared Rachel as their mother, and so they're also the two youngest. And Joseph, he hadn't seen Benjamin since Benjamin was just a child. It's been over 25 years. Now Benjamin is fully grown and he sees him again. And he's just overcome with joy and excitement. It's like seeing him for the first time all over again. Not only is Joseph overjoyed to see Benjamin, he's, he's also excited by the fact that the brothers had indeed kept their word. They had indeed returned with Benjamin just as they said they would. There really is hope for a, for a reuniting, for a restoration of this dysfunctional family. And so Joseph, he plans a party. The men are to be there to come over. And at noon, he's going to come and they're going to eat. It's going to be great. But the brothers, they're hounded by fear. 
I mean, they, they get the message, hey, you got to come over because Joseph wants to see you. You're going to the prime minister's house. I mean, the prime minister of Egypt's house. You know, the first time when they, they're approaching, they don't actually see Joseph then. They don't actually get to talk with him then. They're just given word. You got to go to his house. And they're assuming the worst. Oh, if I'm called the, the prime minister's house, I mean, nothing good. No Egyptian prime minister wants a bunch of Hebrews coming over to his house. I mean, they, he had spoke so harshly with us the last time. He thought we're spies and now we're back and he wants us at his house. I mean, they know nothing good is going to happen here. Something really bad is about to happen. They are assuming the worst. You see, that's the thing about fear, isn't it? It causes you to assume the worst. When you're afraid, you assume bad things are going to happen. You believe the worst. And when you see life through a horizontal humanistic lens, you tend to get afraid. You tend to assume the worst. And you've heard me say it to you before. The reason why the Bible so often says, don't be afraid, don't fear, is because fear always leads to poor decisions. It causes you to act impulsively, defensively, irrationally. And that's exactly what happens to the brothers. They just act impulsively. They, they run to the first person they can and they plead their innocence to the servant, this Egyptian servant. And they're, they're probably talking a mile a minute to him. Hey, sir, you, you must understand the first time we came, we, we weren't spies. We, we just wanted some food. We're a starving family back in Canaan. Yeah, we're, we're Hebrews. We, we mean no harm. We love Egypt. This money, it, it happened in our sack. We don't know how it got there. I mean, you know, these guys are just talking, trying to plead their innocence to this Egyptian servant thinking perhaps, well, maybe he has the ear of the prime minister. Maybe if we can convince him, he can put in a favorable word for us. I mean, why else would we be here unless something terrible is about to happen? And then, ironically enough, the Egyptian servant replies. And this servant, he speaks to Jacob's sons about their God. Did you catch that? He's the first one, really, whose first go-to is the God who they should love, the God who they should know, the God who they should serve. You know, these brothers, they haven't mentioned God at all. For Jacob, God was just an afterthought in a, in a prayer of desperation. But this Egyptian service, servant, he communicates to them in Hebrew, in their own language, in the language they know. And he begins by saying, Shalom. Peace to you. Do you remember how the brothers, when Joseph was still with them back at home all those years ago, what was the one thing that they could never say to Joseph? Shalom, peace. They could never even say peace to Joseph. They could never greet that teenager that way. Why? Because Joseph was their father's favorite. Joseph was their father's spy. And now here are these men accused of being spies. And this Egyptian servant says, peace. Don't be afraid. Peace to you. And it doesn't end there. The servant keeps talking and he says, your God has given you this treasure. This treasure is from your God. It's the first time anyone suggests to, to this family that they should see the money as God's provision and protection for them, that it came from God. 
You know, the brothers, they probably don't even have time to fully comprehend what the servant has just said when he goes away and he brings back with him Simeon, their brother, who they didn't know what had happened to him. And now they're really confused. Here they are standing at the door of the Egyptian prime minister's house. They're being spoken to kindly and peacefully, not harshly or roughly. Their brother, who they had left some time ago, he's restored to them. He's in fine condition. He's been treated well what's going to happen next what what will the next turn be it's got to go downhill the brothers are still probably assuming the worst well they're escorted into the house they're offered water to drink after their long journey and they're given water so that they can wash their feet and as they're washing their feet the servant goes out and feeds their donkeys for them I mean, can you imagine the, the confusion the brothers must have been feeling? That they had traveled this long, difficult journey, anticipating the worst the whole time, imagining just what the prime minister would say and how he would deal with them. I mean, they remembered the last time that they were in his presence, and despite their pleas of innocence, it just went unheard. It went ignored. I mean, how roughly he spoke with them, and they were sure that they were in for the worst. But so far, they had only received the best. You know, when you've done something wrong, when you know that you're guilty, and you know that there's justice that is deserved to be served, but you don't experience justice, instead, you receive grace, well, sometimes it can be hard to receive, can't it? Because you know you don't really deserve this. And so your mind races ahead. You begin to question everything. Why are they being so nice to me? I haven't really been that nice to them. Or, or at least they don't think I've been nice to them. I mean, why are all these good things happening? And that seems to be what's happening here in the hearts of the brothers. Because, yeah, as they're given water to drink, as they're washing their feet, as their donkeys are being fed, it's like they can't get through it fast enough because they got to get this present ready. they they got to be ready just to shower the prize minister with these presents when he arrives home. They're, they're told they're supposed to eat with him and they're, they're thinking maybe this is kind of like our last meal or something. We got to have these presents ready just to kind of mellow out his anger. And you know what? If, if this were a movie and we, and we were watching it, we would almost wish that that was what was going to take place, wouldn't we? We would almost wish that Edmund Dantes would return home after all these years and that the brothers would, would pay, that they would have let their guard down after being treated so nicely and then that he could walk in and he could use their pride and their egos against them and they could get what they really deserved. I mean, we'd want justice for Edmund after this long chunk of the prime years of his life had been stolen away from him. We'd cheer for that. However, when Joseph arrives home, unbeknownst to his brothers, is the fact that this family is one step closer to being reunited. Joseph doesn't seem to care anything about the presents that the brothers are trying to offer him. He just launches right in to how they're doing. He asks the question, hey, how's your dad? Is he still alive? Is he doing all right? And then he notices Benjamin his younger brother who he hadn't seen in over 25 years. And he, he's just overcome with emotion. He's so excited to see his baby brother again. And he asked the question, is this your younger brother who you spoke of? 
And before they can even respond, did you catch that? Before they can even give an answer, Joseph, so excited, just he can barely contain his love and joy over seeing Benjamin again, that he just blurts out this prayer of blessing over Benjamin. And then the dam cracks. I mean, the flood of emotion just overwhelms Joseph and he has to run out of the room into his bedroom and he just weeps. He weeps tears of joy, tears of sorrow, all kinds of tears. You can imagine the flood of emotion that Joseph is experiencing in that moment. And he just cannot contain himself. He needs to be alone just to weep. And you know what? Joseph's tears, they remind us that even these people that we see at a distance, even these leaders that we only see from afar, that they're real people too. That they, they experience real emotions that just like all the rest of us do. You know, sometimes we can look at displays of emotion like this and we can think that they're a sign of weakness or some kind of character flaw. And as you study the scriptures and you see men and women of, who lead and men and women of faith, you often see men and women who experience just intense emotion. I mean, you look at Moses and the intense anger that he felt, David and his despair, Elijah and his depression, Peter and his passion, Mary and her joy and her pain, and Jesus as he wept. See, what the scriptures show us is that God gives us these emotions. This is part of being human. And this is part of what makes us good. That emotions are gifts of God. And when they line up with truth, well, these emotions make us better. That emotions make us better. They make us better leaders. They make us better family members. They make us better servants. They make us better at sharing Jesus and impacting people. Emotions, when they line up with truth, they make make us better. Well, Joseph, he's better because of his emotions. And so he's finally able to compose himself and he returns and he orders that the promised meal be served. And then he does something stunning. It it just overwhelms the brothers. He has the brothers sit down in birth order around the table. I mean, I looked it up. Eleven brothers, the combination of which they could have sat around that table, numbered over 39 million different arrangements. I mean, Joseph, he didn't just happen by chance and say, okay, yeah, here's the arrangement and just luckily get on the birth order. And these brothers knew that. And so as they're sitting around the table, they realize, okay, this man knows more about our family than we thought he did. And so they're studying each other. They're looking at each other with wonder and amazement, wondering how does this Egyptian prime minister seem to know so much about us? And then something even more amazing happens. Joseph is the prime minister of Egypt, so he's eating with the Egyptians. You have the 11 Hebrews over here at the other table. They're eating together. Joseph gets up from eating with the Egyptians and goes and sits and eats with the Hebrews. Now that was unthinkable in those days. Egyptians just did not lower themselves to eat with Hebrews. That that was unspeakable. No one would do that. And yet here is the prime minister in all of Egypt sitting down in his house with Hebrews, eating with them at his table. I mean, this is incredible. He's giving them his most privileged food. He brings it over. He serves them. It is unbelievable. And he gives Benjamin five times as much as he's given anybody else. 
the brothers, they don't seem to mind, though. They don't mind the fact that Benjamin is being treated special here. No, they're just sitting down. They're just eating. They're drinking. They're being merry. Life is good. You, need a, we re, you know, we read a story like this and a story where just this unbelievable grace is, is displayed. And it can be easy for us to say, well, you know, that's just a Bible story. You know, that's what happens in the scriptures. Or maybe we've heard the story of Joseph so many times that we just know it. And we, we kind of like forget the magnitude of everything. We almost reduce it to some kind of fairy tale thinking, well, yeah, that's what happened with Joseph. But in real life, we know that would never happen. Nobody would treat enemies like that. People who'd done something as horrific as his brothers did to him. I mean, people just wouldn't treat people that way. And then we can see a story like the Count of Monte Cristo and we can cheer for something like that. And we can say, yes, people got what they deserve. I mean, after all those years being locked away and missing the prime of life, it's good that he got out and that they got what they deserved. We want justice, or at least that's what we think we want, isn't it? But the thing about justice is justice ends the story. You do realize that, don't you? Justice ends the story. You know how it works. You do the crime, you pay the time. End of story. Even in the most best of circumstances, you have somebody, they do a crime, they do their time, and then as they're doing their time, they they begin to be restored. They change and they come out a different person. And maybe somebody brings up something to the past and what happens? You say, no, 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 no. They're a different person now. Yeah, they made a mistake in the past, but they did their time. Justice has been served. End of story. The story is over. Justice ends the story. You know the thing about grace? Grace always opens another chapter. That's what makes grace so special. Grace opens another chapter. And what a picture of God's grace we see in the biography of Joseph. Because the truth is, we're all like Joseph's brothers. We all all come to God traveling, it seems like, from this far off distance. And we're anticipating the worst, that God's going to respond to us in just the most awful way because we know ourselves. We know the things we've done. We know the things we've said. We know the things we've thought. We know what we deserve. We know we're guilty. And so we come fearing the worst. And then God offers us the best. We desperately plead our case, wanting him to hear us and wanting to convince him that we're okay. And then he speaks calmly to us in our own language, in a language we can understand. And he invites us in, into his house. We, we try to mellow his, his anger that we anticipate he's going to have by bringing all these presents, by offering up all these good works. But yet he just welcomes us to sit at his table, ask how we're doing And then feeds us the finest food in all the land. He serves us the bread of life. You know, isn't it amazing that the one who was rejected would work so hard to see that things could be reunited? That's what Joseph does for his brothers, isn't it? The one who was rejected works so hard to see that things can be reunited. And if all Joseph cared about was justice, well, the story would end right here, Joseph would execute his justice and justice would be served and it would be end of story. If Edmund Dantes were Joseph, we would end the story right here. We might even cheer for it. 
But Joseph understands grace. And because Joseph understands grace, there's another chapter. And so the question now comes to you and me. See, if, if God just simply doled out justice, our story would end when our lives end right here. But because God extends grace, there can be another chapter. And so the question to you and me is, do we want justice where the story ends right here? Or can we accept the grace so that there can be another chapter? I want you to tune in next week because the next chapter is exciting. And we want to know how do we live the next chapter of our lives here and now? Heavenly Father, we thank you that when justice is deserved, you don't merely give justice. Though you do, you are a just God. But at the same time, God, you give grace. And because you give grace, our story is not over. There can be another chapter. So because of that, in, the, in, in this next chapter of life, help us to share Jesus and impact people. We ask this by the power of your Holy Spirit and through the grace of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.